When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, it's Nathan Eckersley here. Before we get into the new episode of my podcast, I do need to warn you. On this episode, you might hear me asking you to send me a message with your opinion. I love hearing your opinions, but the messages you hear me reading out on air are from the live broadcast of the podcast, which takes place on Wizard Radio Station every Sunday from 3pm UK time. If you want to get involved, make sure you listen live then. Please don't try to send in any messages for this episode, as your message won't be read, but you might still be charged. Anyway, that's the legal bit done, now on to the show. Welcome, I'm Nathan Eckersley and on a special edition of the show this week, we are live from Birmingham at the Conservative Party conference and asking if Liz Truss can really get Britain moving. Plus, I'll be speaking to the chairman of the Mallard magazine, Jake Scott. It's a packed show and I want to hear from you, so let's go. I am at the International Convention Centre in a cloudy Birmingham for the 2022 Conservative Party Conference. This is, of course, Liz Truss's first conference as leader of the Conservative Party, which makes this a hugely important few days for her and her government. The Prime Minister seeks to reunite a very fractured party following a highly toxic leadership contest over the summer. An estimated 12,000 people are expected to attend the four-day conference which is being held in Birmingham for the first time since 2018, due to lockdown restrictions forcing the party to cancel the event in 2020. The slogan for this year's Conservative Party conference is Getting Britain Moving, which is a vast improvement on last year's slogan of Build Back Better, whatever that means. So, Truss's pitch to the party faithful gathered in the beating heart of the West Midlands is to ask them to put their trust in her as she pursues this high-growth economic strategy. The economy is playing a huge part in this conference, with the vast majority of events in the Fringe programme discussing how to fix the energy crisis, the war in Ukraine and other issues in the economy. Last year, the party conference was dominated by questions around Boris Johnson's leadership and handling of the COVID-19 pandemic, with MPs split between those who were loyalists endorsing further lockdown measures and greater restrictions, and those who were rebels, calling for a much lesser role for the state and calling for the full restoration of civil liberties. Twelve months later, the party is split once again, with those who fully oppose the economic plans announced last week by Liz Truss and Kwasi Kwarteng, suggesting that it's disastrous and they're even plotting to defeat the Prime Minister and the Chancellor in the House of Commons when it returns on the 10th of October. And those who subscribe to this free market high growth vision and really want to see it succeed. 
Financial markets have been in turmoil this week following the announcement of the Chancellor's growth plan. However, markets have stabilised and the pound is now worth more against the US dollar than it was before the mini-budget. But with all the hyperbole from the media surrounding this plan, we should not lose sight of the fact that it is not the mini-budget that's an anomaly in British economic history. It's the last 25 years which have been out of the ordinary. All Truss and Quateng have done is take the tax burden down to a slightly higher rate than it was in the coalition, but quite a bit higher than it was under New Labour. This is restoring economic orthodoxy pre-1997, which did lead to prosperity. Liz Truss is not reinventing the wheel. But speaking following a meeting with the Bu Office for Budget Responsibility, this is what the Prime Minister said when defending her plans. As I've said, it was very, very important that we took urgent steps to deal with the costs that families are facing this winter. Putting in place the energy price guarantee, for which we've had to borrow uh, to cover the costs of that, but also making sure that we are not raising taxes at a time when there are global economic forces caused by the war in Ukraine that we need to deal with. Of course, you know, we are working closely with the Bank of England. It's very important that monetary and fiscal policy is coordinated. And I recognise there has been disruption. But it was really, really important that we were able to get help to families as soon as possible. That help is coming this weekend because this is going to be a difficult winter and I'm determined to do all I can to help families and help the economy at this time. Even those who are supportive of Liz Truss's economic plans have voiced concerns about the mini-budget. Listen to what Julian Jessup, a recent guest on this show and one of the architects of what's being termed as Trussonomics, had to say about last week's announcements. I think the key point here is if the budget had simply stuck to what we were expecting, namely the energy price guarantee details, the, yeah. the cancellation of the planned tax increases and, and the broader agenda of supply side reform, um, I think that would have landed reasonably well. In, indeed, you know, most economists, including those who are no fans of the government, have elements of the of the package the problem was going that little bit further and the unanticipated announcement of additional tax cuts uh, without the cover of the accompanying analysis from the office of budget responsibility i think if they had waited on those tax cuts until you know a full fiscal event or budget maybe we like to call it in november or maybe yeah. in the spring of next year with the obr analysis i think the market reaction would have been very different potentially much more positive the splits within the Conservative Party are also evident in the new government reshuffle, with Liz Truss having her supporters from the leadership campaign in her cabinet and in the top jobs, with Rishi Sunak's supporters, albeit with some exceptions, being excluded, and some not even attending the conference. Party big beasts Rishi Sunak, Sajid Javid and David Davis are amongst those skipping this year's event. But the other big question at this conference is one which dominated last year's conference in Manchester, which is, what is levelling up? There were many rumours and reports during the leadership election that the Prime Minister was going to abandon Boris Johnson's flagship policy, which he never really gave a proper definition to. Truss has clearly decided to run with levelling up, because she's appointed Teesside MP Simon Clark to succeed Michael Gove as the Secretary of State for levelling up housing and communities. Teesside is one of the red wall areas which voted Conservative in 2019, but the area seems to be favouring Labour once more because Boris Johnson never truly went for levelling up and just threw money at the area rather than creating meaningful change. In the main exhibition hall where I'm standing, 
Organisations like Midlands Engine and Transport for the North have purchased stunts to make the case to ministers, MPs, peers and other conference attendees of why levelling up is so vital and ensuring proper investment is going into places which have been left behind and they're not just being given taxpayer money for the sake of it. The food poverty charity Fair Share has a stand there as well and they too will be making their case to delegates on levelling up from a grassroots perspective. Also in the exhibition hall with prominent stands are the energy companies BP, E.ON and Drax who will be lobbying for greater investment into their sectors. The other issue the Conservative Party is contending with is the huge poll lead Labour is currently enjoying following their largely successful party conference earlier this week in Liverpool. Sir Keir Starmer's Labour Party has a 30-point lead over the Conservatives in the polls, the biggest Labour lead since the 1990s, following the response to the mini-budget, which has cast a shadow over the Conservative conference. Now, it's easy to get caught up in the drama of a handful of polls two years out from a general election, showing a Labour supermajority. But this was often the case when Margaret Thatcher was in office. Polls show showed her on course to lose each election she ended up winning by landslides. Indeed, in her communications with David Cameron when he became Prime Minister, she reportedly used to criticise him for not being far enough behind in the polls because likeable governments are not good governments. So, the next few days are going to be an enormous test for Liz Truss. She will be using this as an opportunity to reassure party members after a long period of division and disunity as she embarks on a hugely ambitious economic recovery plan. All attention will be on Wednesday as the Prime Minister delivers the keynote speech to the conference, which will be her first big domestic speech since taking office. Liz Truss wants to get Britain moving, but can she get her party to move with her? Please get in touch and let me know your thoughts. You can tweet us or DM us on Twitter and Instagram using the handle at WizRadio. You can vote in our poll. The question of the day is, can Liz Truss get Britain moving? To vote on the poll, visit wizardradio.com forward slash listen to vote live. You can text us at no extra cost and the standard network rate supply at 07807 183 538. Email us station at wizardradio.com and all of our contact details can be found on our website www.wizardradio.com. We'll be back after this. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com Welcome back to the show. 
Now, for our message segment today, I'm going to be joined by the chairman of the Young Conservative pub publication, The Mallard, a fantastic magazine. It's the chairman, Jake Scott. Jake, welcome to the show. Hi, Nathan. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you very much for joining me. Now, our first message today is going to come from Freddie, who says, Liz Truss has already got Britain moving in relation to this uh, slogan that's dominating the conference of getting Britain moving. But unfortunately, the direction of that movement is only down. She has moved Britain's economy into a downward spiral. She's moving our public services down the toilet and she's moving financially insecure people out of their homes when they can no longer afford their bills. The status of this country was already teetering on the edge after Brexit, cutting ourselves off from the rest of the world, but now we can't even sustain ourselves domestically. So what are we meant to do? These are extremely scary times to be a human being living in the UK, with a government who are, are not showing any understanding of the struggle that normal people are facing and seems to be betting our futures on the off chance that they get a big win, which is not guaranteed. Liz Truss might be moving the country, but it's not in the direction anyone wants it to move in. Well, thank you for that message, Freddie. And I don't, what, what are your thoughts on this? You, you don't seem to have as optimistic a view as I do on Liz Truss's uh, economic plans, on indeed on her style of leadership. What, what, what do you make of what Freddie's saying here? So I'm not really a free market uh, fundamentalist. I, I don't necessarily think that tax cuts are always the silver bullet they're presented as. But one thing that I think Freddie's kind of hitting on is what this means for the Tories' electability. Basically, the, the issue with the Tories' electability here is that the Conservative Party have always been seen as the, um, the party of sound money, of financial security, of at least getting, getting the economy right. That, that perception has been blown apart, especially by the fact that the IMF and the Bank of England have essentially told Liz Trust to reverse these tax cuts that Kwesi Kwarteng has introduced. What that means is that voters like Freddie, who were probably at least a little bit sympathetic to the Conservatives in the past, I'm, I'm just presuming here, um, they will no longer vote for the Conservative Party and they're probably going to think to themselves, maybe I'll give Labour, Labour a chance. And you have to remember, Tories have been in government for 12 years, they're going to be in government for another two at least. At that point, you've got a generation of voters who can't remember being under a Labour Party government. So for that, for that reason, I think Freddie's touching on the fact that for the vast majority of voters in this country, they're going to see this and think, why on earth would I vote for the Conservative Party? Yeah, it's an interesting perspective you've got there, Jake. And I mean, it's, I, I mean I, I'm completely opposite to you. I am a free marketer. I, I really do think that Liz Truss's plan can pay dividends, but it's it's that conditionality of it, you know, it's the fact that it's could, it mm. can. And, you know, I, I really do think that we do have the potential to really boost the economy this way, you know, generate the growth. Because fundamentally, the fact that people are going to be keeping more of what they're earning, I think, I think the vast majority of us would agree that is a good thing. And being able to grow the economy more organically is, to me, the right thing to do, coming from that free market perspective. But I don't know, Fred, Freddie's pointing on the, the issues relating to Brexit here as well. I mean, what sort of impact do you think Brexit is having on this wider uh, economic situation that we find ourselves in? Well, I, I don't actually agree with Freddie on the Brexit point. I am a Brexiteer and I've always believed in leaving the European Union. And actually, Brexit doesn't cut us off from the rest of the world. If anything, the, what Brexit has done is open us up to the wider world and allow the conditions that Freddie's resisting in terms of, of Liz Truss's tax cuts, which you yourself agree with, and in a normal circumstance I would agree with. I think that's the, what you're saying about conditionality is very important here. I would agree with these tax cuts if we were not facing a 
a cost of living crisis, increasing rise in energy bills, a war in Europe, and frankly, the messaging. The messaging is something that people really haven't touched on. This has not been marketed well. You have to market your policies to the voters, and it has not been marketed well at all. No, I completely agree with you there. The communications from this have been frankly appalling and uh, you know we, we would expect far far better from number 10 the treasury and, and, e and even the conservative party from cchq you know they they should be really promoting this and giving it everything to really generate that sense of optimism in the economy but thank you very much for that message freddie our next message comes from jake not the jake who stood next to me though <laughs> jake says as you said last week nathan liz truss's plan is that of a big risk with a potentially big win if she can cling on to power and follow through with this plan of getting the economy moving by encouraging people to spend money, then the UK could possibly be in the strongest position it's been for a very long time. But the fear is that one, if the plan doesn't work out, then this country could be decimated. And two, I don't know that she has enough time to let this play out. It's likely that the next election campaigns will start in just 12 months' time. And right now, Liz Truss and the party are not in a position to fairly fight that electoral race, which means that before we can see the dividends from her economic plan, we'll probably have a different government. Well, thank you for that message, Jake. And yeah, yeah. The, I mean, we've seen the, these huge opinion polls come out over the last few days about a 30-point lead, 33-point lead in, in one for the Labour Party and for uh, Sir Keir Starmer. But, you know, you know, as, we, as we say, we are two years out from a general election. A lot can happen in two years. We, as, as we've seen over the last few weeks, a, a history can play out in a, a, a week, even a day. So yeah, how, how much of an impact do you think these opinion polls have had on voting intentions? And Because I know you're currently studying for a PhD in politics. You, you study these things quite closely. So... You know, how much of an impact do those things have on voter attitudes and in actually swaying the, the average voter? So it's a very, very good question, especially in the context of the Conservative Party conference. Um, the, the, the panel that I was just visiting was CapEx's panel on how we can we win the next election. And there was a very important point that was brought up regarding John Major. John Major was seen to take some major economic risks in 92 and 93 that didn't work. You know, the Maastricht Treaty and Black Wednesday, uh, they, were, they, were, they completely ruined his economic legacy. By 1997, they were starting to pay dividends, as, as our texter Jake, great name, has, uh, has just pointed out, that could well produce dividends. And I don't doubt that there is a possibility there. However, even within that five to four year period, John Major's legacy did not recover. He was still seen as economically weak. He was still seen as not trustable. And as a result, Labour walked into power. Obviously, there's other reasons why they won in 97, but that's a major reason. So, yes, this really does matter to voters. And, you know, the phrase, a week is a long time in politics, well, actually, when it comes to economics, unless you can deliver the dividends that you want in a very short period of time, which economics does not work that way, then you're not going to be able to win voters back to you. But I guess the argument here that Jake is trying to make is the fact that you know, we, we do have this incredibly ambitious plan. And it's a plan that, as we say, it really has the potential to pay dividends. And you know, you're right to point out the issues that John Major faced. You know, Black Wednesday essentially tarnished the Conservatives' reputation for being strong on the economy for decades, perhaps even a generation. You know, it was the reason Tony Blair won that huge landslide in 1997. But... I, th I think it's an interesting point that Jake makes, though, about the fact 
uh, about actually how the next election is fought. Because for so long, politics has been just dominated by either a single big issue or a, a single big individual, you know, be it Brexit and the referendum or, or Boris Johnson, Jeremy Corbyn. Mm. So now that we're in a period of huge economic uncertainty, but we have quite, I mean, let's be honest, two very boring characters trying to be prime minister. <laughs> you know, now that we have this level of boring, if, if you like, for want of a better word, I mean, how, how much do you think actual issues are going to play? Do you think this is going to be the first electoral cycle for a long time where actually issues are going to be at the forefront of whatever campaign the main parties run? I, I, I think that's going to be the case, but I'd be interested to hear what you think. I'd, I'd, lo I'd love to agree with you. I, I, on the one hand, I, I do agree in the sense that this is potentially the conditions for that to emerge. But on the other, I just have no faith in politicians to actually do that. I think when it comes down to it, they will revert back to big issues because that's essentially what communication specialists believe ought to be the way in which you fight a campaign. And if we look forward to two years, it's probably going to be how did you deal with the Ukrainian crisis? How did you deal with the cost of living crisis? And potentially, how did you deal with the constitutional crisis of a resurgent nationalism in Scotland and, and potentially even Northern Ireland? I can't predict the next two years, but unfortunately, I, I am not as, not as optimistic as you when it comes to how the election is going to be fought. Mm. But OK, let, let's just assume, though, for a moment, that this all pays off. Let, let's just as really taken a huge gamble and she's won and we're seeing huge dividends from the economy the, the, the finances booming we're, we're starting to see some of those real brexit benefits do you think the the boris johnson years of uh, of government of uh, i suppose to some extent misconduct uh, poor behavior all that has that tarnished the conservative brand do you think do you think even even if all, all of this works and it does pay off do you, do you think the Conservative name has been damaged too much? Well, if I may put a question back to you, Nathan. Okay. Back in 2001, Theresa May, then chairman of the Conservative Party, said, we need to stop being seen as the nasty party. Do you think we're seen as the nasty party now? I think we are to some extent, yeah. Then I don't think there's a brand to be tarnished. I think this is just a continuation of conservatives, conservative politicians. Not necessarily conservatism as an ideology or philosophy, but conservative politicians have always given conservatism a bad name. Okay, well, we're going to move on a second, but thank you for that message, Jake. And we're going to go to our next message, which comes from Gideon, who says, You said, Nathan, that people will end with more money in their pockets as a result of Liz Truss and Quasi Quarting's mini budget. But I don't know that that is entirely true, because while she is cutting taxes, the rise in interest rates is going to massively reduce people's ability to pay their mortgages. And so while she's giving people money with one hand, she's taking money away with the other hand. And on that note, I'm not 100% sure that Liz Truss even knows her own policy when it comes to energy bills after this week. She said fuel bills will be capped at £2,500, which isn't even the policy. The intervention is that the cost per unit is capped at £2,500. Many people's energy bills will be much higher than that. Jake said that the Tories' perception of being safe with money has been tarnished, and if your leader doesn't know their own economic policy, it certainly looks that way. Well, thank you for that message, Gideon. And yes, you're right, there's been... I think it goes back to what Jake and I were saying before about the, the communication around this policy, around the uh, energy crisis, around, even around this mini-budget. The communication from number 
10 from the Treasury, from the Conservative Party itself, has been atrocious. And it's been a, a far cry from the, the Boris Johnson days, which was dominated by uh, wh whatever was being said on Twitter or being guided by headlines. And they, they were too bothered about trying to be liked than actually trying to do anything constructive or, or meaningful. But you're right, in, in interviews that uh, Liz Truss has done over the last few days, particularly on the local media round, uh, that she did the other day, which by all accounts did not go as planned or as well as she would have liked, it does appear that Liz Truss isn't fully aware of her own policies. And, you know, just to bring Jake in, in on this, you know, we are talking about this as a very free market perspective and a free market energy plan, mini budget, financial package. But is the country actually ready for that? Because Gideon's quite right in pointing out that, yes, we are, being, uh, a, we are now able to keep more of our own money on the one hand, but at the same time, because of the rising energy prices, it's being taken away on the other. So, you know, can Liz Truss and Kwasi Kwarteng really create a proper balancing act, or are we just too far gone down, uh, down this sort of rabbit hole of big state intervention in, in various sectors of the economy? So... I think one thing that I would actually contest with Gideon's message is the timeline of things here. And, and again, I'm not an economist, so I can't speak to the veracity of whether or not it's going to work. But my understanding of the timeline was that interest rates were rising, price rises were coming anyway. So the response from Liz Trust was, in that case, we need to cut taxes and let people keep more of their money. So from what I understand, it's not a case of money being given back and then it being eaten away with rises in interest rates. It was actually rising interest rates, rates were coming anyway, let's try and let people keep more of their money. Yeah, ab absolutely. And, you know, for a lot of the economic issues we're facing at the moment, the, the government, both, both Boris Johnson and Liz Truss, uh, they, they've both said this is because of the Ukraine war. It, it's not. As you say, Jake, these things were coming down the, the line for quite some time, if, if, if you were charting, following the charts and uh, keeping up with uh, financial news and markets, we could see that all this was coming. And to me, there seems to be a lot of short-sightedness around the state of the economy at the moment. And again, a sense of idealism. But uh, no, I, th I think Gideon has a very good point in saying that because of that communication issue, we're, we're not seeing a, a lot of confidence in the markets. That's why we've seen the uh, hit on the pound recently. But thank you for that message, Gideon. Our next message comes from Rose, who says, I think this country is in for big problems, no matter what happens at the next election, Nathan. What your guest said about the Conservatives being the party to protect people's money and the public purse is completely right. But now they can't even claim that they have... Cr uh, but now they can't even claim that after they've crushed our economy. But then you look at Labour and you wonder if they could do much of a better job. OK, they wouldn't have done the tax cuts, but increasing taxes would also hurt people. And potentially paying a large portion of uh, people's energy bills or putting a cap at a lower amount would have increased the national debt too. Labour could have done the exact opposite of what Liz and Kwasi have done but and, and we could have had the same outcome. I don't want to sound all doom and gloom but who can we trust right now? Well, thank you for that message Rose and I, th I think you're right to point out the, the doom and gloom. There's, there's, there doesn't seem to be too much optimism out there at the moment do, does there Jake? Uh, I mean yeah, you know, if, if we're looking at just the events of the, the last week or so, this huge fall in the pound. Now, it, it has rallied and it is now higher than it was before the, the mini budget, albeit not by much. But the fact that we are starting to see it rally is a, perhaps a sign of optimism. But, you know, Rose makes a really good point here by saying that 
you know, people are looking to the Labour Party as, as an alternative because of these issues within the Conservative Party, within uh, the, the issues of, indeed, this Conservative government. I mean, we, we're both Conservatives, right? You, you know, so we're, we're coming at this from a, a, a very clear viewpoint and perhaps a, a bias. But can the Labour Party and Sir Keir Starmer actually do this any better? Well, the answer is no, and again, not because necessarily because of an ideological perspective, although I won't deny that that's there. I think one thing that we have to remember is that politicians do not have as much control over the economy as we think they do. The economy is always the first to move and politicians move after. Or, as we saw, when it comes to, say, massive tax cuts and then the pound sort of having a bit of a shock reaction, it then recovers really quickly. So actually, the influence that politicians have on the economy is nowhere near as great as people think it is. Mm. Oh, that, that, that's a good point. And, you know, th this is all, this, this whole response has been market-based. You're, you're right, the, the, pol the politicians haven't really done all that much. I mean, yeah, you might have had a, a couple of ministers doing the, the media rounds, you know, the, the Chancellor does an interview every, every so often. But fundamentally, this is a, a market reaction. So, you, you know, I, th I think Rose makes a, a good point by saying that, you know, Labour are offering an alternative. Voters will want to gravitate towards that. You know, they, they put their trust in the Conservatives in 2019. Very few people are actually seeing rewards from that. You know, they're, they're not seeing that levelling up dividend, if, if you like. And yes, in, increasing taxes at this time would pr uh, hurt people, I, I think. And, you know, cutting taxes is absolutely the right thing to do. But you have to be smart about it. And you have to be able to, well, quite simply, you have to be able to afford your tax cuts. So ju just what a final quick point on, on this, Jake, uh, before, before we take a, a break. You know, you know, we, we, Rose is saying here that you know Labour could have done the exact opposite to Liz and Quasi and probably had the same outcome. Are you feeling any sense of optimism that we can actually get out of this sort of economic quagmire that we find ourselves in at the moment, or are we just simply too far gone? It's time for a regime change. Well, I definitely do think it's time for a regime change. But if I do hold any optimism, it's in the people of this country and not the politicians. OK, thank, thanks very much, Jake. And a reminder that if you want to get involved, you can tweet us or DM us on Twitter and Instagram using the handle at Radio. You can vote in our poll. The question of the day is, can Liz Trust get Britain moving? To vote on the poll, visit wizardradio.com forward slash listen to vote live. You can text us at no extra cost, only standard network rate supply at 07807183538. Email us station at wizardradio.com and all of our contact details can be found on our website, www.wizardradio.com. We'll be back right after this. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back. Let's check in with the results so far on this week's poll. The question of the day is, can Liz Truss get Britain moving? 
Well, only 21% of you say yes, she can, but a whopping 79% of you say no, she cannot. Well, please do vote in the poll if you haven't already. To vote on the poll, visit wizardradio.com forward slash listen to vote live. And again, please do keep your messages coming through. A reminder that all of our contact details can be found on our website, www.wizardradio.com. Now, I'm still joined by Jake Scott, who is the chairman of a a fantastic publication called The Mallard. It's a, and it started off as a website, has recently evolved into becoming a print publication and is a forum for uh, young conservatives mainly to share their views on politics, the state of the world and uh, other issues. And uh, Jake is not quite so optimistic, as I'm sure you will have heard, about the future and the state of the Conservative Party. And I'm delighted to say that he is still with me now. Jake, thank you very much for staying with us. No, thank you very much for having me. Thank you. Now, just before you came to uh, speak with us today, you, you were saying that you were at a, a panel event run by uh, another uh, a very excellent publication called CapEx, talking about the future of the Conservative Party. And I think it would be fair to say that it wasn't quite as optimistic as party officials might have liked or certain MPs and ministers might have liked. And, uh, what, what are your thoughts on the current state of the Conservative Party at the moment? The problem the Conservative Party has more than anything is it's been in government for too long. Now, by no means am I saying that I would rather have a Labour Party government, but when you sort of take a step back and think, we've been in power now for 12 years, admittedly five of that was in a coalition, so let's say that we're, we, we have been in government for seven. In that time, in those seven years, we have had four leaders. The last time we were in government for this long, we had one, and that was Margaret Thatcher. As a result of that, we had a clear, consistent vision. We knew what we stood for, we knew where we were going, and we had a plan. And we had a good leader who was able to communicate to people. The same time, the last time the Labour Party were in power, again for this long, they had a single leader. The problem the Conservative Party has at the moment is partly that it's been in government for 12 years, but it's partly also for the fact that during that time it has had no consistent vision. It's gone back on itself multiple times. For one thing, Kwasi Kwarteng has said, yeah, we're going to cancel the national insurance rise. Okay, great, but that was that was a national insurance rise introduced by another Conservative leader, and that is a microcosmic example of the problem here. So we don't have a clear vision. You're absolutely right, and I, I fully agree with you about the, the idea of vision. You know, that, that was the thing that was so disappointing, perhaps even upsetting about Boris Johnson's government. You know, he, he comes in with this fantastic plan of levelling up, we're going to win back all these uh, lost labour heartlands, their dissolution with the state of politics at the moment. You know, in comes Boris Johnson and uh, his government, he comes up with this fantastic slogan of levelling up, never gives us a definition of it. And again, I suppose it goes back to what we were saying uh, before in response to one of our earlier messages about communication. You know, if, if you're basing an entire government on a single policy, you have to be able to define it. So, you know, we, we have got this new leader, okay? Do you think she can actually rectify some of the problems that Boris Johnson created? Is it even possible to retain those 2019 seats that seemed so unwinnable going into that election? And then for a short time afterwards, thought maybe the party has made some ground here. Maybe we can continue in these areas. So I think a, a really interesting question there is can we retain some of these uh, gained seats because you know one thing that Boris Johnson said and was absolutely right on is you have lent us your vote we need to earn it okay you, you're giving us a chance 
nobody, I think, on our side of the aisle would say we've rewarded that. Um, to talk about that panel that I was in very briefly, someone on the panel said, okay, as, as you've said, Nathan, the main selling point now is supply-side economics. Can anyone in this room give me a quick definition that would be able to explain it to the average voter? No one put their hand up. And probably because the vast majority of us don't even know. So when it comes to, like you say, having this kind of one key linchpin policy, which is essentially supply-side economic reform, if you don't have a party that knows what that means, you can't communicate that to the non-party faithful. So, no, I, I really don't know if we'll be able to hold on to these seats. One poll that made me slightly optimistic came out shortly after Liz Truss was elected, which was that um, she was slightly more popular in the red wall seats than Keir Starmer. But that's hardly surprising when the opposition's Keir Starmer, yeah. right? So the issue is, is Liz Truss likeable? And the answer is no. Yeah. No, you, it, it, it is a, an interesting, I suppose it's a dilemma really, that the, the party's in. You've, you've come from this this man who's made his entire career and reputation on wanting to be liked by being likeable, by you know, being the idiot with the daft hair. But And then, you know, enter the, comes the, the polar opposite to, to Boris Johnson. And, you, you know, you, you do face a, a real dichotomy almost within the party and I think that's in itself creates a split but if we look just look more broadly to the Conservative Party conference you know we're in Birmingham the party faithful's gathered in Birmingham right now you know what what's your sense uh, having, having spoken to other attendees here you know speaking to people what what do you think is the the general mood or atmosphere among party members at the moment the word a friend of mine used was funereal. It does feel as though the party has has gone and we're essentially, you know, some sort of Weekend at Bernie's style comedy of errors in which we're just sort of moving the party around like a puppet that's long lost any life behind it. The reality is, and, and, and you know, I can't speak for all of us, but when I speak to most young conservatives that are here, they're here to see their friends, right? It's a social thing for them and that's, you know, that's perfectly fine. But that's not their fault that they're not really interested in policy some of them are interested in policy but even then you know the the, the slightly more youth focused panels tend to be quite philosophical like what's the point of free speech but that's that's not really policy and you know i'm all here for that i'm a philosopher myself but um what what the reason i think that's a problem or at least i think the origin of that issue is the party itself party conference used to be a place to discuss policy and they used to listen to the to the supporters to the party members they'd invite policy from the party members they'd have policy forums that doesn't exist anymore there's nowhere where we can go and sit down and say okay what do we think about x or y or z and what can we do to try and sell the policies that we can come up with to the party uh, to, to the public and that doesn't exist you know that there is no involvement of the actual party faithful and they are the party faithful you know i i don't necessarily like the current conservative party but i'm at least faithful to the idea that conservatism is the best solution for the country and we're not rewarded with by that loyalty yeah i mean the, the conservative party does have its own policy forum but let's be clear i, I mean i'm sure i'm going to get shouted at this after, uh, shouted out uh, you know by certain individuals that i say it's a click you know it's certain individuals who dominate that one particular organization within the Conservative Party. You know, people can shout at me later about that. But, you, you know, you're, you're right. You know, particularly for young people, they don't have a, a reason to 
want to be conservatives. You know, it's, it's one thing actually voting for the Conservative Party. You know, you have a set of circumstances like 2019 of saying, well, I can't bring myself to vote for Jeremy Corbyn. The, the alternatives aren't great. I'll just get, lend, lend my vote, as you say, to Boris Johnson. So I, I, I suppose going, going into this more philosophical debate, as you say, you know, what can conservatism, let, let's forget party for now, what can conservatism today actually offer young people? So to kind of, um, you know, start from the basics, conservatism is a philosophy of belonging. It's a philosophy of believing that you have a place in the world and that that place is safe for you. That's part of the reason that conservatism has always gravitated to things like nationalism or at least national identity because it's a way of bringing people together in the least exclusive way possible. It's still exclusive because it has to be, but it's the least exclusive way possible because it's... Um, it's a form of belonging that's not based on, say, race, gender, uh, religious identity or anything like that. It's based on whether you believe that you are part of this political identity. And if you are, then you should be able to take part in it. Now, young people, especially, are at risk. They're very much at risk of both political extremism, but also economic instability, cultural wars. Um, you know, just essentially being taken advantage of. We see it with increasing extremism from basically every direction amongst young people. And conservatism as a philosophy of belonging, as a philosophy of home, ought to be, ought to be able to say to these people, actually, no, things are not as bad as you think, and where they are, we all need to work together to make sure that we can improve. So conservatism in that regard should at least, should be able to bring people together around things they share, and work towards improving the common fund. That's why I don't believe this is a Conservative Party anymore. Well, that's quite, quite a, a, a damning statement. The Conservative Party is not Conservative. Can I just ask you to elaborate a bit more on that? Because, you know, that, that is a heck of a claim to, to make by saying that the biggest centre-right party, well, the, the, the most successful centre-right party in, in history mm. is no longer Conservative. What, why, why do you think that? The last time I heard a Conservative Party leader talk very passionately strongly about Britain was Theresa May. And that was only in a parliamentary debate when she said that the Scottish National Party is confusing the European Union, an economic uh, union that's existed for, for 40 years, with our country that's existed for 300. Now, Boris Johnson might have talked about getting Brexit done. I don't think he got Brexit done. I think he got Brexit started. But even then, it was a very kind of global Britain. And when you actually, again, it's kind of like the levelling up thing. When you drill down to what global Britain means, it doesn't... The, the emphasis is not on Britain, it's on global. It's on in, uh, attracting out to the, the globe, being part of this wider political world, which you need to be. But then, when you look to see how this has evolved with Kwasi Kwarteng, for instance, in his uh, budgetary speech, he said, we need to attract the world to us. Now, that's perfectly fine, but what is it we're attracting the world to? And unless there is a clear coherent vision of what Britain is and should be that's coming out of the Conservative Party until that point I do not think they are Conservative. Okay well at least something that we can all agree on is that one bastion of British conservatism at the moment is the Mallard magazine. You know it's a fantastic forum for young Conservatives to really share their views and have a, an open space in which to debate and discuss and just actually put their thoughts to paper which it, for, for Conservatives generally is a rare thing at the moment. So could you just give, give listeners a, an overview of what exactly the Mallard is and uh, what, what you hope to achieve with it? 
Well, thank you very much for letting me do so, and obviously, thank you for having written in the past. If anyone wants My to pleasure. read, uh, if anyone wants to read Nathan's articles, you can go on the Mallard and you can just type in and search Nathan Eckersley. You'll find his fantastic articles there, and that's essentially what we want to do. Is basically what you've just said. Both give people who have not got anywhere else to speak somewhere to speak, but also from a sort of practical perspective. People like yourself who are sympathetic to conservatism and, and are conservatives, give them somewhere to start writing. We've had so many fantastic writers who start with us and go on to write for other places, and that's really a point of pride for us. Because, sure, we might be their first chance, but someone's got to have their first chance. And nobody, regardless of who you are, nobody starts their writing career with The Telegraph or The Daily Mail. You start off with essentially honing your opinions, putting them out into the public and just testing them. So that's what the Mallard tries to do. But alongside that, it tries to bring together the best conservative writers of the younger generation to prove that actually, yes, despite all of our misgivings, there is a, re there is a need and an appeal for conservatism amongst the youth, um, but also make sure that that is a tight and coherent and convincing message at the same time. I, I fully agree with that. And again, I, I, as well as writing, I do subscribe to the Mallard. It is a really good uh, publication. So we, we've only got a couple minutes left in this segment, but I just want to ask, ask you finally, just as a very broad overview, we are, of course, at the Conservative Party conference. Where does the party go from here? We, we, we seem to find ourselves, as you, as you say, this does seem to be sort of funereal, as, as, your, as your friend said. You know, the, there is a, sort of a very somber attitude in comparison to previous conferences, certainly that I've been to. So, you know, given where we are as a, as a party, where do the Conservatives go next? What, what's our plan? What do you see as being the future of the Conservative Party in the short term? So I could give some you know, optimistic spiel about, you know, what we can and cannot do. My personal belief now is the next two years is damage control, then we lose the next election. During that time, we have a serious think about what we stand for, what we should stand for, what we shouldn't stand for, what demarcates us from the left these days, because there's a lot that we share with them, and, and wrongly so. And we need to accept that we're probably going, we're almost definitely going to lose the next general election. That means we're going to be out of parliament for at least five years, maybe even ten. And during that time, we essentially need to do, and this is the one thing that I, I, I keep saying to people now, we need to do what Thatcher did between 74 and 79. She went out to every single right-wing group she could find, and I mean every single one. She listened to them. She said, what do you think is the problem? Where do you think we should go from here? So I appreciate you asking me the question because in essence, that's what the party should be doing, is asking the question, and they're not. Okay. Jake Scott, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome back to the show. 
Thank you very much to Jake Scott for coming on the show. And I must say, The Mallard is one of the best young conservative publications out there. So if you do get a chance, be sure to check it out. They have some really fantastic articles on there. Now, we are still discussing the Conservative Party conference, and we're going to go to our final poll results now. And the question of the day is, can Liz Truss get Britain moving? Well, only 18% of you say, yes, she can. But a massive 82% of you say, no, she cannot. Well, I mean, that, that's quite a, a definitive result and really quite a, a poor indictment on a Prime Minister who's only just getting started. But I, I want to go to a message now from Luke, because Luke's saying that I just want to say that even if Liz Truss could get Britain moving, even if she did make it possible that people had more money in their pockets at the end of the day, I don't think that's enough for the Conservatives. She might be, this might be hard for you to accept, Nathan, but in a lot of this country right now, the word conservatism is a dirty word. And that's not solely down to Liz Truss and Kwasi Kwarteng. It's not solely down to Boris Johnson and Dominic Cummings. It's not solely down to any one thing. Not Brexit, not the economy, not Covid and so on. Liz Truss is putting herself out there as a representation of conservatism. A traditionalist. And people do not like that. I think this is a truly unrecoverable situation right now because people are rejecting the idea of conservatism after it has failed them time and time again in the past 12 years. Well, thank you for that message, Luke. And I agree. What? Why should we vote for a Conservative Party at the moment? What is the Conservative Party offering us? Now, yeah, I, I'm, in the, I'm in the conference at the moment. You know, we, we've just heard from Jake, who also has a... Uh, quite a a pessimistic viewpoint on the state of the party and indeed conservatism at the moment. But that's because conservatism is, as you say, a traditionalist ideology. It's a a sentiment that really hasn't been given any place in the 21st century yet. And when when David Cameron won that uh, 2010 general election, yes, it was a coalition. Yes, of course, with that, a huge amount of compromises would have had to be made. But fundamentally... That was his opportunity to actually make conservatism relevant for the 21st century, and he didn't do that. He just stuck with some very wet, centrist, liberal, really, version of what conservatism is to try and seem likeable, to to actually win power. And winning power is fairly easy. It's what you do with it that's the issue. And all the Conservative Party has done with its time in government is do what it can to stay at the top of the polls and just about win an election. 2019 was an anomaly. But you're right, conservatism is seeming like a dirty word at the moment. And it shouldn't be, because it should be a cause for optimism, a cause for celebration. But but it's not been given a reason to, and that is incumbent on the current Conservative Party. But thank you for that message, Luke. And our final message of the day comes from Tash, who says, Nathan, you're very brave reading that first message about Liz Truss moving Britain down the toilet, whilst at the Conservative Party conference. I'm not going to give you much of an easier time. I think that it says a lot that when you're live at conference, speaking to the editor of a conservative publication, and he doesn't even sound like a conservative voter, he sounds like he would have a very hard time deciding where to put his ex at the polling booth. And if there was an election right now, Liz Liz Truss had a chance. She was actually dealt some fantastic cards, and it felt impossible for her to be less liked than Boris at the end. She had a crisis to solve with energy and finances, which is always a good thing when a new, uh, as a new leader. And then the country was united over the death of the Queen. Within an hour, she managed to screw it all up. So, 
How confident am I in her ability to pull it together with all of the remaining hours she has? She's managed to screw up her first hour and she'll probably screw up the rest of them too. Well, thank you for that message, Tash. And you're, you're right. You know, Jake, as we heard before, he's not optimistic about the state of the Conservative Party. I'm not at the moment, but I, I, I'm going to lift us up. I'm going to say that we should have a reason for optimism. I, I'm going to say that we're being offered a really radical, bold new approach with the economy. An approach which hasn't been tried for decades. And when it was last tried, it took a long time to work. But once it did, it paid dividends. And that was during the 1980s. Let's not forget that when Margaret Thatcher took office in uh, 1979, you know, the economy was in the pit. You, you know, she actually had to raise taxes before she could lower them because the inflation rate was so high. In fact, we were in a position of stagnation because the, there was no growth and yet inflation was growing. So she had to tackle some issues really head on and it, it, it paid dividends. You know, she, she went for this high risk, high reward approach and it worked for the 1980s, but we are in a very different situation to then. We're, we're in a position largely of our own making because this economic crisis is largely down to lockdown restrictions and also because the Bank of England would not raise interest rates quickly enough at, at the time. And so that's why they're currently talking about emergency measures, buying bonds, this, that and the other. But, and we, we, we talk about this idea of conditionality with this, it can work, it could work, but I really do believe that if the government improves its communication on this, if it really plows ahead with this, really puts all its efforts and attention into making this economic plan work, delivering growth, then I think Liz Truss will be vindicated in doubling down, as will Kwasi Kwarteng, her chancellor. This hasn't gone well so far. I fully accept that. But I truly, truly believe that this economic plan has the potential to work, and that's the crux of it, potential. We have to trust in her. We have to trust in trust, if you'll excuse the pun. Because without trust, without optimism, we're not going to go anywhere. So it's very early days for this trust. And she's been in the job just over three weeks. Let's give her a bit more time. Thank you for that message, Tash. And I'm afraid that's all the time we have for this week. Uh, thank you to everyone who's listened to this week's episode. And thanks to everyone who sent in messages live. If your message wasn't read out this week, then please do try again next week. Thank you very much to my guest, Jake Scott. I'm Nathan Exley, and I'll be back at the same time from the usual place next week. Goodbye. Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW report prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18+. Plus.